Santa, you're fired. A short story by W.C. Turk. Chapter 1, If It Ain't Broke, Don't Fix It. You may have heard this story. It made all the papers, but the news doesn't always tell the whole story. This is the complete tale of how Santa Claus was fired and how Christmas was saved. What you might not realize is that for Santa and his elves, the holiday season did not end with Christmas Day on December 25th or on January 7th. Come the new year, Santa, Mrs. Claus, and the elves were once again hard at work in preparation for the next holiday season. It was, of course, a labor of love. After all, wasn't that what Christmas was really about? But there were some who only saw the profit of money in Christmas. It was a bright and cold morning in Santa's village at the North Pole. Santa had finished his final trip of the season. With the reindeer safe and warm in their stable, he looked forward to removing his well-worn boots and relaxing his weary and ancient bones beside the fireplace. He had delivered gifts and blessings the world around. Santa's final task was to visit his elves and their families. They were all servants of the spirit of Christmas, just as Santa was. As they all slept snug in their beds, Santa quietly filled their stockings or placed gifts beneath their beds as thanks and appreciation. Without them, Christmas could hardly be possible. They had all worked so very hard from the goodness of their hearts. How he wished he could do more for them. Santa loved each and every one of them so much. Satisfied, Santa returned home, where Mrs. Claus greeted him with a kiss to his rosy red cheek and a mug of her hot cocoa. In pajamas and warm slippers, he reclined beside the fireplace. Santa was happy for the children he could deliver gifts for and was sad for so many he was unable to visit. It reminded him of the work that lay ahead in spreading the spirit of giving regardless of the season. He struggled against sleep to keep his eyes open. Santa lamented that he was just one person on one night and the world was so very big. His one wish was that all good people of the world would take up his example of love and cheer and giving to celebrate with everyone the world over. He was nearly asleep when there came a knock at the door. With a tired groan, Santa rose to answer. Who could it be? He wondered aloud. Opening the door, Santa was greeted by three smart-looking men in expensive suits and brightly colored neckties. Mr. Claus, we presume, they chorused. Christmas is a smash hit. Time to take things to the next level. Advertising, one blurted. Marketing, said another. And you should reap the rewards of your success, said the third. With a great and hearty laugh, Santa raised his mug of Mrs. Claus's homemade cocoa. Why, I have my reward right here. Then think of your elves, said the first. And the little baby elves, too, said the second. But Santa wasn't convinced, you see. The businessmen, however, refused to take no for an answer. They had crafted the art of persuasion by any means. Mr. Claus? We offer a retirement plan, insurance, and a fair wage. Think of the little ones, they exclaimed. Just sign on the dotted line, and we'll take care of the rest. But I'll still be Santa, he said. What would Christmas be without Santa, said the third, with a million-dollar smile. And it was just that easy. The papers were signed. Santa and the elves celebrated. With that, Santa and Mrs. Claus waved goodbye to everyone as they boarded a private jet. From the window of the plane, Santa wondered if he was doing the right thing, and if he would ever see his elves again. Seeming to feel his sadness, as she always did, Mrs. Claus patted his arm. It's all for the best, she said as the plane climbed into the bright blue sky.
At first, it was more than Santa could have dreamed. Santa's workshop was knocked down to make way for a grand new state-of-the-art toy factory. Christmas became a business and became more profitable each new season. Christmas Inc. was a spectacular financial success. Soon it employed many thousands around the globe, from truckers to executives, toy makers, secretaries, and salespeople. Once clad in brightly colored clothing, curled slippers, and bright green Christmas hats, elves could now afford the latest fashions. As Santa and Mrs. Claus, as chief executive officer of Christmas Inc., Christmas Inc. provided a luxury penthouse which overlooked Big City. Servants, maids, butlers, and personal chefs catered to their every whim. The company provided a personal assistant for Santa. His name was Brown, just Brown. At least that's what everyone called him. Tall and handsome, he saw to errands, kept track of appointments, and helped to manage the many responsibilities Santa had in his new position. In the morning, a limousine whisked Santa to his big corner office high atop Christmas Inc. Tower. There, each morning, the members of the Christmas Inc. Board of Directors, 12 men and women, waited expectantly for Santa. Santa's work at Christmas Inc. was far different from his work at the North Pole. He was busier than ever. Efficiency reports overflowed from his desk. People came and went all day, demanding his signature or initials on this form or that piece of paper. So many that he often had no idea just what he was signing. And reports, reports, so many reports. He was so much busier now than any Christmas he could remember. Not just around that special day, but every day, all year long, Christmas Inc. was a machine, a vast empire made up of thousands of people all around the world. Moreover, Christmas after Christmas went by. Santa no longer hitched up his reindeer as the elves filled his sleigh for a trip around the world. Now he made radio and television appearances on networks owned by Christmas Inc. He and Mrs. Claus attended the office holiday party where new, ever higher profits were cheered and celebrated. Christmas was bigger and brighter and more profitable each year, but each Christmas morning he would awaken and feel that something was missing. Even more, Santa wasn't himself lately. Mrs. Claus thought that he wasn't looking well. How she worried over him. Day after day, he was off to the office early. He often worked well into the night. Of course, Santa accepted all of it in stride. After all, he was doing this all in the name of Christmas. At least that's what he thought. When the North Pole factory was closed and the elves transferred to toy factories around the world, Santa told himself that it was probably all for the best. But things weren't for the best. As busy as he was, Santa just could not see things clearly, how he longed for those simpler days at the North Pole. Then one Christmas Eve, Mrs. Claus found him at the window, looking out across the twinkling lights of the city. He was away in thought. Far below, the streets were clogged with traffic. A cacophony of car horns arose from impatient drivers. People fought over toys and things in great shopping centers. They were rude to one another. Christmas, this new Christmas of Christmas Inc. simply wasn't, well, Christmas anymore. Do you hear that? Santa lamented. Everyone pushing and shoving. Papa, come to bed. Everything will be better in the morning. Do you know what tonight is? Why, it's Christmas Eve, that's what. Papa, don't upset yourself so. Come, I'll have the kitchen staff make you a nice cup of hot chocolate. Mama, I can't remember the last time I enjoyed your hot cocoa. And then I received this, the only letter from a child this year. We used to receive thousands by the sack load. Santa drew a piece of paper from his pocket. He carefully unfolded it and read it aloud to Mrs. Claus. Dear Santa... My auntie says you are very busy. 
She says there are other kids who have much less than we do. I live with my brother and auntie in a one-room apartment without good heat. Maybe you will never see this letter. In case you do, I would like to ask a favor. Not for me, but my little brother needs a good hat and gloves for winter. They don't have to be new, just warm. Merry Christmas, Lindy. No return address. She believes in Santa, but I've got no way to find her anymore. What will she think, Mother? Will her little heart be broken? Papa, please don't torture yourself. Santa lay awake that night in bed while Mrs. Claus slept. He held little Lindy's letter. He vowed that everything would change come morning. He couldn't know that everything would change and that true Christmas spirit might be lost forever. In the morning, Santa asked Brown to convene an emergency meeting of the board of directors. What should I say the meeting is about, Santa? A little girl, Santa replied. Brown assembled the board members as requested. Santa entered and stood at the end of the long table. He looked around at the terribly serious faces of the twelve men and women around the table. He took a deep breath and began. Ladies and gentlemen, he said, I fear that Christmas Inc. has lost sight of why we are here in the first place. We are far too concerned with profits and not enough with the true spirit of Christmas. As you might guess, this caused a great deal of alarm among the members of the board. They whispered urgently to one another. Then one of them stood and looked around the room before speaking. I think, he began, everyone here agrees that marketing Christmas has been very profitable. Santa disagreed. I fear we have forgotten too many people, children and families in need especially. Yes, yes, I see. These poor people are an untapped market. By selling them broken or cheaper gifts, we can corner the market and make even more money. No, no, that's not, that's not it at all. We shift from making money to helping those most in need. I'm confused, said another. No profit? Surely you're joking, Mr. Claus. I'm as serious as a flying reindeer. With that, the board members, who did not erupt in outright laughter, scoffed at Santa's suggestion. We reject the motion, said a board member, drawing agreeable nods from the others. found himself in a difficult position. Perhaps, he thought, the board underestimated how serious he felt. Ladies and gentlemen, I must insist. Either Christmas Inc. adopts my proposal or, or, well, you'll just have to find yourself another Santa. The first man that he had met at the North Pole nodded thoughtfully. Standing, he motioned to the door and told Santa, if you would wait in your office while the board discusses the situation. In his office, Santa paced up and back and back again. Surely the board would come to its senses. 
After all, they all had grown up with Christmas the way it once was. Santa rubbed his hands anxiously. The wait was almost maddening. The door opened. In walked the first man he'd met at the North Pole that fateful day. His expression was severe. Mr. Claus, said the man, the board has arrived at its decision, and you're fired. Fired? I'm Santa Claus. How can there be a Christmas without Santa Claus? There's no need for your Santa any longer. We can hire a hundred for what we were paying you. Just then a pair of security guards appeared at the door. Security, escort this gentleman from the building. He no longer works here. Santa was led down to the street. One of the guards reached in his pocket to confiscate his company credit card. Now Santa had just enough money to return to the penthouse. The doorman told him that he no longer lived there and refused to let him inside. It had all happened so fast that it left Santa's head spinning. He had nowhere to go, and even if he had, there was no way to get there. It all seemed hopeless. So that was that, he thought. Santa and Mrs. Claus had lost everything. Santa found her sitting on a bench in a park across the street from their former building. People hired by Christmas Inc. had put her out with little more than two small suitcases. His red suit, Santa cap, and boots, which Santa had worn all those Christmases, were now the property of Christmas Inc. Mrs. Claus stood when she saw him. She forced a smile for his benefit. They both thought the same thing. Santa's village at the North Pole was no more. The elves seemed hopelessly scattered around the world. God only knew where his magic reindeer were. Santa and Mrs. Claus feared that this was the end of Christmas as it was meant to be, love and family and sacrifice. Instead, Christmas Inc. would make it about selfish desire and greed. Mother, what have I done? Santa lamented. She wrapped her arms tightly around him. We'll think of something, Papa, she reassured him. Just then, Brown pulled up at the curb. Climbing from his car, he walked slowly over to Santa and Mrs. Claus. His expression was glum. No small part of him felt responsible in some way. Santa stood and rested a hand on Brown's shoulder. I don't blame you for any of this, he said. Brown frowned. It's just that I have a family to look after, and, and... Mrs. Claus sought to rescue him from this remorse and embraced him. You've been more than an assistant, she said. You've become like family to Santa and I. I could be sacked just for being seen with you. Well, now, that won't serve anyone, said Santa. But where will you go? What will you do, Brown asked. Santa only shrugged. Mother and I will make do. We always have, she confided. Santa pulled her to his side and hugged her tightly. Indeed we have, Mother. Brown nodded and started to leave. His shoulders were heavy with grief. He felt he was betraying friends and the nicest people he had ever known. Halfway across the park, Brown stopped and turned to Santa and Mrs. Claus. Listen, he said, returning to them. I don't know what I can do. He pulled all the money he had with him in that moment. It wasn't a lot, but Santa knew it was more than Brown could afford. I can't take that, Santa said, 
deeply touched. I insist, Brown said. Listen, I, I donate food and clothing to a shelter on 3rd Avenue. A friend of mine runs a place. Ask for Maggie. I never knew, said Santa. There are many of us, Brown began, who are unhappy with what Christmas Inc. has done to Christmas. There are just too many who lack the simplest blessings. You're a good man, said Mrs. Claus. Maggie at the shelter is doing the work we all wish we could do in looking after those in need. She'll look after you until I can figure something out. The shelter on 3rd Avenue was a humble place. The neon sign above the door was in need of repair. The metal awning was coming loose from the red-painted wall. The paint was old and peeling. Wood-covered windows were broken, or so old that gaps allowed cold air inside. The sidewalk was broken and uneven, but it was all the shelter could do to remain open. There simply wasn't enough money for repairs. Inside, Santa and Mrs. Claus found the dozen or so tables filled with the hungry. To one side was a small kitchen and serving table where donated food was prepared. At the back of the dining room, a door led to a room with cots where the homeless and lost might find temporary shelter. There was a sign on the wall. It read, The more we feel concerned for others and seek their well-being, the more friends we will have and the more welcome we will feel. Dalai Lama. A small, haggard-looking woman with curly black hair and big round eyeglasses was alone, moving between the kitchen and cleaning tables. A long white apron hung from her neck and tied tightly at the waist. As overworked and almost overwhelmed as she was, the woman smiled warmly at Santa and Mrs. Claus. She did not recognize them. She only noticed that their clothing was much finer than anyone else in the shelter. May I help you? She wiped perspiration from her forehead. You must be Maggie, said Santa. Aren't you a bit early? Early? asked Santa. No offense, Maggie began, but I don't usually see people like you until Christmas. <laughs> Santa laughed out loud. People like us? Did you hear that, Mother? You know, feeling guilty that you've given too little thought for those in need, but I am in need of help all year long. There must be some mistake, offered Mrs. Claus. Look around, Maggie insisted. See how many people will have their only meal of the day here. This is every day. My husband and I were just thrown... Mrs. Claus began. Santa stopped her. She's right, Mother, he smiled. Too many of us take too much for granted. Christmas should be every day. Maggie, if you can spare a cot for me and Mrs... Um, I mean, my wife and me, we shall happily earn your keep every day. You're serious, asked Maggie, taken aback. In fact, said Santa, you look like you could do with a rest. Why don't I take that apron? From that moment on, Santa's job was serving food to the homeless and needing at the shelter. He was there for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. He would heap delicious and nutritious food that Maggie had collected from donations. Santa greeted each person in line with a smile or thoughtful word. He was hardly satisfied until they managed to smile as well. Mrs. Claus was there, too, preparing food, cleaning tables, and giving her own good cheer to all who entered. She marveled at her husband and could scarcely recall seeing him so happy. The work of the shelter's kitchen gave him the greatest joy. You never grow tired, 
Maggie observed one afternoon following an especially busy lunch. <laughs> it's like it's Christmas every morning, noon and night here, said Santa. It's just that the need is so great. Sometimes I wonder how we will manage. Do you realize what next week is? Christmas, Maggie replied, a little ho-hum. Yes, it's Christmas. I'm afraid that it's just another day around here. All the more important, Maggie, to make it a special day. A Christmas celebration, I say. Maggie thought a moment. With a nod, she touched Santa's hand. Come, there was someone you should meet. In the back of the shelter, a pair of orphans had arrived just that day. Their aunt had fallen ill, and she was in the hospital. Unable to pay her bills, the landlord had put the orphans out into the street. They were seated on a small cot. The little girl looked up at Santa as her little brother slept in her arms. It took a moment. Her eyes widened with excitement. Santa smiled warmly and sat beside her. You know, don't you? It's really you, said the girl. I thought you were only a myth. <laughs> and why would you think that, my dear child? I wrote you a letter from my brother to ask for warm gloves and a hat. Santa gasped. His heart fluttered. A tear tumbled across his cheek. Your little Lindy, dear. Your letter reminded me of what Christmas was all about. I know it sounds crazy, but I think I was meant to find you. Neither Maggie or Santa knew, but a reporter for Big Town Newspaper happened to overhear the conversation about the shelter Christmas party. Rushing back to the newsroom, she wrote a story about Santa and the shelter. It ran with the big, bold headline, The Real Santa is Back! As you may guess, people were overjoyed at the news. But the men who ran Christmas Inc., for whom Christmas was only about money, also saw the story. Bitter and cruel, they dispatched lawyers and notified the authorities. We own Christmas and Santa Claus, he bellowed. This will not stand. That Christmas Eve, the lawyers for Christmas Inc. and police broke into the shelter just as Santa was leading Christmas carols. It was quickly obvious that the police were not there by choice. Despite their protests, they were ordered to enforce the law Christmas Inc. had helped create. The lawyers for Christmas Inc. waved an official paper over his head and bellowed, this man is illegally using the name Santa Claus. By order of the court, you must cease and desist. Santa came forward. I will do no such thing. Every December 24th, for as long as anyone can remember, Santa Claus had celebrated the eve of Christmas. In that case, said the lawyer, we will see you in court. A few weeks later, the courtroom was packed to overflowing with citizens and reporters. It overflowed through big double doors into the hallway out the front door, down the steps, and into the streets. The lawyers and the three businessmen for Christmas Inc. had to be secreted in through a back door to avoid the angry people. They were angry at how Santa was being treated. They were angry about Christmas. Across from the men from Christmas Inc., Santa sat alone. Mrs. Claus sat right behind him. Come to order! Your Honor, said the lawyer from Christmas Inc. The facts are clear. 
Christmas Inc., a subsidiary of We Own Everything Amalgamated, owns the full rights to Christmas. No one owns Christmas! Someone shouted from the back of the room. What have you to say, the judge asked Santa. Your Honor, Santa began, some Christmases ago, I made a terrible mistake. I believe these men from Christmas Inc., that we would make the season greater than ever. Instead, it all became hustle and bustle, shoving and money. Christmas isn't a thing to be bought and sold. Exhibit A, Your Honor, said the lawyer. I hold in my hands a contract signed by one Santa Claus himself. It states clearly that Santa Claus gives full rights to own Christmas now and forever. A gasp arose from the crowd of the corporate. Mrs. Claus stood. Wait, wait. But there is no Santa Claus. As you might imagine, Santa was quite alarmed to hear his wife speak this way. Mother, he said confused, what, what are you saying? Your true name, she replied. Why, everyone knows your real name is Chris. Chris Kringle. The lawyer could not have been more pleased. Thank you, Mrs. Kringle, he said with a polite nod. She is correct, Your Honor. Mr. Kringle and Christmas Inc. shared different opinions on the direction of the company. The only solution was to relieve him of his position as Santa Claus. A Christmas without Santa Claus? Even the judge was taken aback. No, Your Honor, the lawyer replied. We hired 22 replacement Santas and more than three dozen elves. Mother, what have you done, Santa said, heartbroken. But Mrs. Claus knew only too well what she was doing. You can't be Santa, not alone, anyway. Oh, that's right, Santa exclaimed. No, no one can be Santa Claus. Not alone. Cheers erupted among the courtroom. The judge banged his gavel. I'm sorry, Mr. Well, er, I mean Kringle, but the law is quite clear. But how can anyone own Santa, Your Honor? The man from Christmas, Inc. rose abruptly from his seat beside the lawyer. Then we'll have you thrown in jail for infringement. Angry cries and shouts filled the courtroom. Again, the gavel banged loudly, urging the court to order. This time it took much longer, for the people so loved the one true Santa. The judge sighed heavily. He was terribly torn by all this. He loved Christmas and Santa as much as anyone. He cherished the memory of his children on Christmas morning all those many years ago. He now looked forward to the joy in the faces of his grandchildren as they opened and shared gifts on Christmas. He cherished scooping them up in his arms and holding them tight. But he also knew how important the law was to everyone. Sometimes being a judge and making these decisions was so terribly difficult. Mr. Kringle, he began, unfortunately I am bound by the law. You must promise never again to call yourself Santa Claus or I would be forced to put you in jail. I am sorry, but it is the law. Then, at the back of the crowded courtroom, Maggie from the shelter suddenly declared, Then you'll have to throw me in jail, too, because I am Santa Claus. Brown, who had been watching and waiting this whole time, looked over at Maggie and smiled. Then jail me, too, because I'm also Santa Claus, he said. Me, too, cried someone in the crowd. I am Santa Claus. I'm Santa Claus, said another. More voices joined until nearly everyone in the court had declared themselves Santa Claus. The spirit of Christmas swept through the people in the halls, down the steps, and out into the street. Thousands cried joyfully that they too were Santa. Santa, or rather Chris Kringle, stood quite suddenly and clasped his hands. Tears of happiness streamed across his rosy red cheeks. Meanwhile, the judge was a very wise and learned man. 
But he was a man of the law. He knew full well the importance of the law. But he also knew, at its core, the law was to be the champion of goodness. Still, he banged his gavel down on his high desk again and again. Order, he cried. I will have order in this court. Gradually, order returned until everyone was quiet once more, but for hugs, a bit of laughter, and tears of joy. For in their hearts, they knew they had won. There are some things greater than the law. The judge leaned back in his great chair. He had to consider carefully. There was much to weigh in the balance. First, he had to consider the law. It was the law that provided order in a civilized society. But the law could be abused. He knew that much. He also had to consider the will of the people. While a mob was as dangerous as a bad law, he could see that in this case, they stood plainly on the side of good. As for Christmas, no one could rightly own a day, most especially a day which was defined by human hearts, one to another. It's the judgment of this court, he began, that there is greater fault for those who attempt to put a price on that which can only really be valued by the human heart. I am a man of the law, and when I find that the law is unjust, I am bound to correct that mistake. The judge glared at the men from Christmas Inc. and their lawyers. Shame on you for attempting to take a blessed day like Christmas from all these good people. Christmas is not about making money. It is about each of us. I find, therefore, for Santa and for Christmas. He banged the gavel down as people cheered and declared with the broadest and declared with the broadest of smiles. Case dismissed. And that's how Christmas came to be saved. Christmas Inc. was no more, but Santa now realized that Christmas needed to be rebuilt. Each Christmas anew, it is an affirmation that we are here for one another. He knew that it would take a long time and that it must be protected year in and year out by declaring our love for everyone the year over. We were all Santa Claus in our own special way. It was much later that year. Santa and Mrs. Claus visited the shelter to serve food and offer as much love and caring as they could to those in need. One by one, they came through the line, sliding their tray and plate along the serving counter. Santa heaped upon their plates all manner of food to warm their bellies and heart. Just then in line, he noticed several faces that, that he recognized. It was the three men from Christmas, Inc. Their clothes were dirty and disheveled. It was clear that they had lost everything when Christmas Inc. closed its doors for good. They were clearly ashamed, so much they could not look at Santa. Instead, they kept their eyes down until they reached Santa. We understand if you turn us away, they chorused. Away? Why, gentlemen, you are just what is needed around here. Three smart and very hard-working men? Why, there's a job in fixing this place up and making it the finest shelter in the city. To that, they looked at Santa and said as one, we'll make you proud. Merry Christmas to one and all. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas.